0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're back in the world of Activision Blizzard, of California's lawsuit against one of the biggest video game publishers in the world for harassment and discrimination because as the week has gone on and we've been practicing law or making videos about significant constitutional issues in the United States, a lot of the news items about this story have been proceeding, and in a fashion that I can't imagine Activision Blizzard likes too terribly much. Now, if you haven't been following this story, there's a lot of background materials. That's why we started a playlist, California versus Activision Blizzard, a legal view. This will be, I believe, the seventh video in this playlist. Please do check it out. But where we last left off, we did a video talking about Jay Allen Brack, the then head of Blizzard. I called it having his head roll. Some others would point out that it's technically a resignation or a stepping away from the company, but certainly a significant event for Activision Blizzard as he was a named figure in the lawsuit as described by California. And so Activision got rid of him. He stepped away, however you want to think about it, and replaced him with two separate people. Now, at that same time, that kind of went under the radar a little bit. Bloomberg reported that Jesse Messchuk also left the company this week, according to an Activision Blizzard spokesperson. Messchuk was the senior people officer, head of HR, at Blizzard. Remember, Activision Blizzard is a number of different companies, so this individual was the one focused specifically on Blizzard, the unit's top HR representative, certainly the kind of job where, when the state of California files a lawsuit, a lot of which is premised around HR failings, yes the person in charge of that HR office is unlikely to survive. But that day when Jalen Brack was fired, when apparently at least was acknowledged that Jesse Meschuk left the company, was the day of the Activision Blizzard investor call for the quarter 2 earnings. And as we'll see as part of this transcript Abi Kotick, CEO, and others had a very specific set of messaging points that they wanted to get across: that Activision Blizzard's a good place to work. They're working on fixing things and addressing any kind of problems that they have, and then talking about investment stuff. It's an investor call. And we'll also talk about how this was reported on in various places. And I think, in a way, that was a little bit unfair because this is the chance for investors to find out more about the internal operations of the company that they have given money to. And so the fact that those questions relate a lot to, hey, how are you making us money, really isn't as ghoulish as you might've seen in certain headlines going around gaming outlets as I think it has been described. Now, we're gonna take a look only at the highlights here. A lot of this is what you can expect talking about how Call of Duty is still being worked on, it's gonna make a lot of money, et cetera, et cetera. We're gonna focus specifically on the California versus Activision concept and how it's presented in this investor call. Says, with us are Bobby Kotick, CEO, Daniel Allegri, president and COO, that's operating officer, and Armin Zurza, CFO, financials. As for the Q&A, we've got Rob Kostic, president of Activision, Jen O'Neill, co-lead at Blizzard, Mikey Barra, co-lead at Blizzard, and Alan Adham, executive producer of Blizzard Incubation. President of King, Humam Sakini, sends his apology. Now, here we get the first kind of indicia of why everything happened with Jay Allen Brack. So, so early on the morning of this particular investor call, they didn't want him participating. Jay Allen Brack would have been participating as the lead at Blizzard in a call like this one, and they wanted to, one, look like they were doing something, and two, have the face of that something that they did be present on the call. So Jen O'Neill and Mikey Barra are on this call, even though they haven't been leading Blizzard for the time period that is referenced in this call. And... In so doing, Activision Blizzard's trying to get in front of this more and more. And I think failing, you'll see in my comments to this video and others that some people disagree with me. That is totally okay in this space. Reasonable minds can differ. But I think Activision Blizzard has really had problems with their communications on this front. But we can see now writ large exactly why that firing happened when it did. The other thing I wanted to point out here is very standard language, very boilerplate language for a call like this. But they disclaim what they say as effectively forward-looking. It says, the forward-looking statements in this presentation are based on information available to the company as of the date of this presentation. And while we believe them to be true in our heads, that's the knowledge that we have. We think what we're telling you is true. They ultimately may prove to be incorrect. And you have disclaimers about gap and COVID-19 and financial measures and all the rest of this stuff because it is illegal for a public company in a public-facing communication to deliberately deceive, to defraud, to lie, even to omit, to state something that they know that would be material to the investors. That's going to come up again as part of this video. So keep it in mind. Now we get Bobby Kotick. He's the chief executive officer, the CEO of a company, sets the direction of the ship, but not how the ship gets there. That's the COO and president's and other executives job. So when he comes on a call like this, he's going to talk in broad strokes and he's focused on the issue with California versus Activision. He says, I want to start by making it clear to everyone that there is no place at our company where discrimination, harassment, or unequal treatment of any kind will be tolerated, nowhere. We so appreciate the current and former employees who have come forward in past and recent days with courage. And I want to reiterate the commitments we have made to you. Our work environment, everywhere we operate, will not permit discrimination, harassment, or unequal treatment. We will be the company that sets the example for this In our industry. While we've taken many steps towards this objective already, and we've pointed out in this video series, right, this is what Bobby Kotick and the PR and messaging side of Activision Blizzard has tried to establish subtly and not so subtly in many, many different ways. We are already doing this. We've got the policies. We've got the HR. We don't agree with what California has charged us with, but... Obviously, we've got morale problems, we've got mutinies all across our company, and so we want to reiterate that we're going to, quote-unquote, continue to do that. We've taken steps, and today we are taking even more. Bobby Kotick wanted to be able to say here on this call, hey, we've got new leads at Blizzard. Jennifer O'Neill and Mikey Barra have been named the new co-leads at Blizzard. We then see their curriculum vitae, as we've talked about in this space already, and we have Mr. Kotick saying they are the very best examples of leadership with character and accountability. In addition, we'll continue to investigate each and every claim and complaint that we receive. We've already been doing this, we'll do all this. And he has paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs here that sound a lot like his letter that he wrote after some of the bad messaging that Activision Blizzard had put out there into the world. You can check out our video on that as well. And we expect to be the very best example for other companies to emulate on this score, right? They're in a lot of trouble, but we want to be the best. And that's what Bobby Kotick says. And then you get kind of an echoing and then going into what, in all honesty, the investors are there to talk about. They want to talk about how this will affect the bottom line of Activision Blizzard, sure, but also how Activision Blizzard operated in quarter two, how they're going to be operating in the future. So you have the president and chief operating officer come on here. Very first thing they say, unprompted, I'd like to underscore the points that Bobby made regarding the company's commitment to ensuring the very best work environment, et cetera, et cetera. And then let's talk about Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, Candy Crush, quarter one, quarter two, year over year, all the stuff that you would expect in a call like this one. We're not going to go into too deep detail. There are folks on social media, on Twitter that have YouTube channels that talk about with high levels of specificity, the financial information and things like that. Highly recommend you check them out. Uh, But I'm the wrong person to talk to on financial details. That's not what the lawyers do. It's what the accountants, the financial folks do. And then you see the chief financial officer come in and do the same exact thing. This is messaging points. This is how you set something like this up. If you're PR, if you're in charge of relations on this call, I want to reiterate that our priority is ensuring a workplace that provides opportunity for all in the most welcoming and inclusive way possible. And then he's going to talk about the financials. And I think at the end of this particular statement, he talks about the fact, and this is a good kind of ribbon to tie on this. I don't say that Activision Blizzard does a great job of this a lot. But they say, hey, we couldn't be more committed to ensuring an inclusive work environment for all our employees, as well as the long-term sustainable growth, because it's that level of inclusiveness that gets us to this growth, right? Activision Blizzard says that in a couple of different places. It says, look, we want to be inclusive. We don't want to have harassment. We don't want to have discrimination because we want to make money. And that's the purpose of a call like this one. Then you get into the questions and answers. And I have to admit, they didn't ask as much about the lawsuit as I would have liked to have seen if I was one of these institutional investors. So I have no problem with people getting upset that that question wasn't asked. Or I, in particular, would have really liked to know what Activision Blizzard would say when asked the question of why the job of one in J. Allen Brack was replaced by the job of two. I think you could have some good answers for it, but I'd like to see what their thinking is when prompted with that question. Here, the very first question is essentially, hey, so I mean, we've seen a lot of headlines about the lawsuit and employee concerns, some stuff going on around about you, Activision Blizzard. Can you talk more about what you've been doing and will, will do to address those issues? Good, so far, right? And then this is where the various gaming journalism outlets get upset. And then just, just secondly, Can you expand on any expected impact to productivity as you work through the situation? And do you expect any impact on the pipeline? So the investor here is doing a good job. This is the job of an analyst. It's the job of somebody representing institutional investors to go and say, look, there's a lot of stuff in the news. What are you doing about it? I want to hear more about that. And also, what effect is that going to have on you making widgets? that's your job. You're a widget-making company. What is this going to do to Call of Duty? What is this going to do to World of Warcraft? We saw maybe tweets that Hogue mentioned earlier in the series that said World of Warcraft is having trouble working on their stuff, either because they are distracted by all this, which is totally understandable, or because they're doing a kind of slow play strike. And so what's the deal there? That's a totally legitimate question. Unfortunately, it gets reported on by places like Kotaku as ghoulish right? The investor's job, the analyst's job, the people representing the investor's job is to go and ask questions of the company that they wouldn't otherwise be answering, that they didn't answer in their own statements about how the company operates. And this is even prefaced with a question about these significant news events. But instead, the Katakos of the world, there are more that, that like this, went out and said editorially, Activision Blizzard investors and leadership posed the explosive lawsuit as something like, oh, people said some things and they're not good, but we're actually doing everything we can to make this company the best place to work ever. And also, don't worry, none of it will hurt our bottom line. There was no word on some other things that Kotaku was interested in. And at the end of the day, that's not really the purpose of the call. So I think it's a little bit unfair. And you're seeing this around the internet. And that's not to say Activision Blizzard doesn't deserve all the slings and arrows that are being thrown at it. But when we're talking about an investor call, getting on the investors for asking about their investments is not, I don't think, the hill you want to die on if you're a games journalist person uh, out here in the space. You get what you get from Activision Blizzard, which, hey, maybe isn't as responsive as you would like, but it's hardly ghoulish. Our employees are truly our greatest asset. We've engaged an outside law firm to conduct a review of our policies and procedures. Put a pin in that. We're going to talk about that as well as part of this video. And then, hey, now to answer your question on productivity and pipeline, as you heard today, the pipeline is progressing. In particular, some of the content in the pipeline has been development for many years. It's approaching final stages of production. We're still going to be able to make widgets. Don't worry about your money in our company. And you see, The rest of the questions kind of follow along the same lines. Curious what you're seeing on the global reopening. Hey, not only are you in the midst of a big lawsuit, there's kind of a pandemic going on around there. And video games had a really weird relationship with the pandemic. 2020, big growth. 2021, most of these companies are seeing a kind of slowdown in growth, if not kind of a reduction or reversion to the mean that would have been 2019 through 2021. You got a question about how Jen O'Neill and Mikey Ibarra are going to handle Blizzard. I'm just curious how Mike and Jen plan to kind of rekindle the pride that Blizzard has been known for and kind of just really build that morale. And you have Jen O'Neill with one of her first kind of responses here. Thanks for the question. First off, there's nothing more important to me than our people. And I know Mikey Ibarra, who is partnering with me, to lead Blizzard feels exactly the same. When we come together, we make some of the best games in the industry and we're now seeing that energy applied to our culture, which is equally important. It's a good answer from Jen O'Neill. Says, hey, look, I'm not discounting the problems here. I'm not doing what Activision Blizzard did in their original messaging. I'm saying, I think we have special people. I think we have a special place. And if we focus our attention that made some of the great games in our past, whether or not you think they can still do that is up to you, on these issues, then we're going to overcome. But, of course, Jen's now management. And so... That creates its own problem and separation from the employees. And they continue to go on and on and on about this. I will link this in, of course, the description to the video. You can check it out to your heart's content. But for the most part, it's it's financial frippery. It doesn't focus on the Activision versus California concept other than Bobby Kotick getting out in front and trying to say basically everything he said on his letter. But this was only really the start of a couple tough couple of days for Activision this week. Because at the same time, you have a group formed at Activision that I would describe as almost kind of a proto-union. A union has to be recognized. It gets collective bargaining rights. We can go into the law of unionization if and when this story progresses to that level. But what you've got here are employees at Activision Blizzard that are apparently working together under a specific name. You actually see a Twitter here. I put it in the thumbnail, a better ABK. That's Activision Blizzard King. You see the image that they've created, and we'll talk about that image in just a second. But they did it in order to respond to what happened with respect to Bobby Kotick's letter in a way that makes a lot of sense to me. You heard me talk in my videos. When Bobby Kotick's letter went out, that one of the very first things I would check would be the relationship between the law firm that they hired, Wilmer Hale, and Activision Blizzard. Because if you're sitting on the opposite side of a contract negotiation and somebody says, hey, we're going to have somebody audit X, Y, or Z, one of the things you make sure of in your contracts, in your discussions, in your negotiations is, hey, that... That, that group doesn't have any relationship with you already, does it? It's not run by your brother. You don't already pay them a million dollars a year in billables. Uh, you check that kind of thing. And I said, hmm, that's worthy of checking if you're heading the employee group or you're an employee that's interested in these kind of things. And of course, when we did our video on the devil being in the details, we pointed out, oh, Wilmer Hale already represented Activision Blizzard. And so you do have not a formal conflict of interest, but certainly the image of mm, can they represent as a third party and truthfully audit what's happening at Activision Blizzard because they have that money on the line. They have client money on the line. You don't want to offend your client. And IGN leads off with this by saying, a coalition of workers from across multiple Activision Blizzard development studios calling itself the ABK Workers Alliance has sent a joint letter to Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick and his executive leadership team criticizing the decision to hire the law firm Wilmer Hale, And this particular group is interesting because it says it's involved with certain subsidiaries, not all, but that isn't exactly reflected in the image. So we'll get to that in just a second. It says... The actual complaint includes Wilmer Hale's conflicting interest due to its pre-existing relationships with Activision Blizzard, Wilmer Hale's history of discouraging workers' rights and collective action, and Stephanie Avakian's history of protecting the wealthy and the powerful. If you remember, Stephanie was referenced by Bobby Kotick in that letter as being somebody that they could report to uh, complaints and that was going to be heading up the Wilmer Hale audit. And so as of Monday, August 2nd, this group, a better APK, sent the following to Bobby Kotick. We are the ABK Workers Alliance, an organized group of current Activision Blizzard, Inc. employees committed to defending our right to a safe and equitable workplace. Now, this is important. Current Activision Blizzard is more strongly representative of the current feelings at the company than what we were seeing in terms of current and former and references to that kind of grouping in other articles about these stories. That right remains endangered as the stories of abuse and mistreatment continue to grow in scope, and new accounts of harassment perpetuated by current Activision Blizzard employees have continued to emerge since the publication of the lawsuit. Last week, we took collective action, which is a code phrase, again, proto-union. They're signaling here that they are to be taken seriously, because if they're not, they are going to look at more formal means to be taken seriously to demand better working conditions for women and other marginalized group at ABK by writing an open letter signed by, and we get our updates here from various other spots because it's not a public letter, 3,000 current employees. Now, the Activision Blizzard entity has 9,500 employees listed, and it's going to be varying almost on a daily basis for a company of that size. But you're now talking about a mutiny at Activision Blizzard of Almost a third of its workforce, if not higher, because this number keeps going up every time we see it, that's a real morale problem and a real functional problem for making those widgets that you want to make. If I were an investor, I would have asked more questions about this, but they did not. Our request for action crosses studio lines, including workers from Activision, Beanox, Blizzard, High Moon, Infinity Ward, King, Sledgehammer Games, Raven Software, and Vicarious Visions, and that reference to High Moon... Calls me once again to give the disclaimer that I do have family working at a subsidiary of Activision, that's High Moon Studios. And of course, you can take my opinions on this video series in these videos with the grain of salt that they deserve for that relationship. I don't think I'm being biased on this. And I think as we progress through this video and maybe the entire video series, you'll see I'm not pulling punches with respect to the company. But I want that to be out there for you to evaluate. And of course, I don't ask him anything about any of this. That's an unfair position to put him in. uh, And I would never do that to my brother. Also, looking at that list, is there anything that you see that's missing? It's a little bit odd. It's a big company at Activision. There's no reference to Treyarch, one of the biggest companies at Activision responsible for the biannual version of Call of Duty. And you don't see their name here. And that's a little bit odd. It means they couldn't get a worker to sign up for the group at the time, or they just made a mistake and left them off this particular list. Treyarch's not on there. Interestingly, we go to this image, and this is what I was talking about. You do see this, this kind of tri-looped infinity sign. That's Treyarch. Uh, And they are indicating by use of that logo here on this picture that Treyarch is a part of this, but they don't say that in their letter as of the time they sent it to IGN. So that's an interesting thing. Certainly, I would love journalists to get a better handle on how this all came together, how this group functions, how it has conversations amongst all these various bodies, and whether Treyarch's involved or not, because that's a significant role in the Activision Blizzard family of companies. The letter continues by saying, hey, we communicated a list of four demands aimed at protecting our most vulnerable workers. We talked about this list when we talked about the, work, the walkout. It says, these are an end to forced arbitration and employment agreements, the adoption of inclusive recruitment and hiring practices, increases in pay transparency through compensation metrics, and an audit of ABK policies and practices to be performed by a neutral third party. They added the word neutral there. We're going to talk about how these demands look compared to this paragraph in just a second. Importantly, we demanded that this third party be selected by an employee-led diversity, equity, and inclusion task force. Now, we can go and look at the original demands, and some of what they demanded was elided in that paragraph. Absolutely, the arbitration clauses have not been addressed by Activision Blizzard. They asked for them very clearly in the demands at the walkout. When we get to recruiting, interviewing, and hiring practices, it gets a little bit more complicated because one of the things they asked for were for those policies, however they were adopted, to be agreed upon by employees in a company-wide diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI, organization. And I said... That's going to be a difficult thing for a company to give. You can't give up ownership and control of the policies and procedures that cover everything that is intake at your company to anything company-wide. That's not the way this works. A company isn't a democracy for purposes of this and how Activision and Blizzard would want them to be on board with whatever they come up with on this score they can't give up the reins of authority as to what those policies and procedures look like. So this, from a corporate law kind of perspective, is effectively a non-starter. And you'll see that they don't actually reference that in the letter. The adoption of inclusive recruitment and hiring practice doesn't reference the fact that what they asked for was very difficult for Activision Blizzard to give. Similarly, pr- publication of data on relative compensation, promotion rates, and salary ranges for employees of all genders and ethnicities at the company, they described that they, Activision Blizzard didn't put this forth in Bobby Kotick's letter, but it's a little bit more complicated than that. And then, as we said, when they talked about a third party, it doesn't actually say it has to be neutral, just says a third party to audit ABK's reporting structure. And as they do point out, they wanted, again, that company-wide DEI task force to be in charge of hiring the company. And that's the focus of this letter, because at the end of the day, they didn't do that. Activision Blizzard said, hey, Wilmer Hale, Wilmer Hale is already Activision Blizzard's counsel. Come audit our stuff. That's not neutral. That certainly has no uh, ability for the employees to opine as to whether that's a good source. And Wilmer Hale is what this letter is all about. They say, you did not meaningfully address any of our requests. And we reject the selection of Wilmer Hale for the following reasons. Activision Blizzard has already been a client of Wilmer Hale is, in my opinion, by far the best and strongest. Bobby Kotick put in his letter that he was hiring them. With the auspices of it being a neutral, independent audit, clearly it is not. And it wouldn't meet any level of neutrality that you would expect on this score. And so I think if I'm Activision Blizzard, you can go and you can find another big, high-powered law firm that still is employer-focused as most of them are that doesn't have an existing relationship with you. And that might have been... A better step instead the employees look at this and say "Ah, yeah, wilmer hale come on francis townsend who is the focal point of some of our issues is known to have relationships with partners at wilmer hale and wilmer hale states on their public website that their services include advising on union awareness and avoidance which is a totally fair cop against it however unionization actually isn't right now directly at issue in california versus activision if you look at this, they haven't threatened a union. They were using some of those words in this letter. Unions themselves haven't been a part of this story. Wilmer Hale, having a union background at all, really isn't specifically about harassment and discrimination. However, I think as a group of employees that are kind of rattling the saber about unionization, it makes sense to call that out. And I've talked about how I think it's a little bit unfair to refer to Wilmer Hale as union busting. They are an employer-facing law firm. They generally represent employers and big companies. They are a high value practice with very, very expensive attorneys. And for the most part, big companies are the only ones that can afford those attorneys. And yes, you can leave in the comments how that's a terrible set of affairs and a terrible set of justice things in the United States and other jurisdictions. I don't necessarily disagree with you, but framing them in this way is a little bit unfair because they do what they are paid to do. You see other kind of issues that are raised in this letter. Stephanie Avakian is outlined her work as counseling and defending financial institutions, public and private companies, hedge funds, accounting firms, investment advisors, boards, corporate executives, and individuals facing regulatory and criminal investigations and litigation with the government. Well, somebody has to. There's nothing wrong with that on its face, although we will see that some people think that. And she also says that significant examples of her achievements are in favor of investors, retail clients, and customers, but not once does she mention employees or laborers. And I think that's probably also a fair complaint. One of the things we noted in Bobby Kotick's letter was that he referenced this person as having a relationship with the SEC, which we now know Wilmer Hale was working on their SEC filings and things like that. So it makes sense. There's a relationship there from Bobby Kotick's perspective but it doesn't make a ton of sense to say this person in particular is gonna be looking at our labor and employment practices because that's not the background you would expect. And it opens you up to counter volleys like this. And this really should have been expected if you're Activision Blizzard or Bobby Kotick. Now on that union busting concept, you do see here that the ABK employee group tries to use the media portrayals as evidence of this. And they use a Kotaku article union-busting law firm, they use an NME article, they use a gamer article, and look, my job here is to talk to you about these things in as unbiased a fashion as I possibly can with the eyes of a lawyer and an analytical mind. And I look at these articles and I say, again, what you've got here is this overall concept between the lines that effectively nobody should be defending these things. The gamer puts it pretty much up front in a sentence here that says, Hale proudly boasts achieving dismissals in cases regarding discrimination, unpaid overtime, and tax irregularities brought against its clients. On top of this, the firm also offers its clients a defense against whistleblower claims. Yes, the way that the justice system works is that everybody is entitled to their day in court. And if you boast achieving dismissals, the... Assumption should be that those dismissals were legitimate, that cases were brought that didn't meet the elements of the case, and that Wilmer Hale properly defended its clients and got those cases dismissed. The assumption in paragraphs like this, which you can see throughout gaming journalism, is that all of those dismissals are effectively wrongly sought and unjust. And that's just not the way the law works. You see this about lawyers a lot, but everybody's entitled to their defense. Wilmer Hale provides one of those defenses. I can tell you, I have been in deals, in negotiations against Wilmer Hale. They're very competent attorneys. It's a very good law firm. And, you know, maybe that's part of the argument is that they are so good, they get dismissals that you don't want. That's a part of the argument. But here, it just sounds like you don't like a big, giant law firm that represents companies and management against lawsuits, but that's the way our legal system works and everybody is entitled to that defense. Continuing with their letter, we basically see that they say that they're doing things that Activision Blizzard is not. They're doing a worker-to-worker mentorship, open listening sessions. They've hired community meeting members and things like that to help have these conversations outside of the normal employer pipeline. And they say we will not abandon our cause. Our ranks continue to grow across multiple Activision Blizzard studios. You combine that with the collective action reference and a couple of things pop out. One, they're definitely rattling the saber towards unionization. And two, it wouldn't actually surprise me if there is some union that is actively helping these employee groups kind of get their stuff together for communications with management. As these actions show, we love our studios and care deeply for our colleagues. So now you've got firings which are almost an admission of guilt in certain respects certainly in the court of public opinion you've got problems in your investor call certainly on the way that they are being reported you've got an employee group that is acting as a proto-union and as a twitter with six thousand followers and imagery about how they're all together effectively against activision blizzard and then you've got the investors mutinying along with your employees and potentially another group that we will mention at the end of this video. Here's GameSpot. Activision Blizzard sued by shareholder. Technically, it's a plaintiff's law firm representing the leader of a class. It's fine, GameSpot. For false and misleading statements. And... We'll take a look at that because that's what we do here. We're not going to look at it too far in depth because we've got the Rosen Law Firm. And if you recognize that name, congratulations, you win absolutely nothing except my respect. The Rosen Law Firm is, of course, the law firm that we talked about with respect to the CD project lawsuit and their form document that was presented in order to try to solicit a class. Now, that sounds a little bit bad. It sounds a little bit disparaging, like I'm discounting the process. I really am not. The way that securities laws work in the United States is that you've got law firms that are effectively dedicated to representing plaintiffs and plaintiff's class actions against companies on a basis that is pretty broad. We talked at length in this earlier video. I highly recommend going and checking this out if you're interested in what's happening in this lawsuit and what will undoubtedly, I can almost promise you, be additional lawsuits against Activision Blizzard on the same grounds which doesn't mean ultimately that Activision Blizzard has to fend off three or four or five lawsuits. They will be consolidated. But that these lawsuits are all premised effectively around what the United States calls, colloquially, fraud on the market. That if you lie to the marketplace, you are enhancing the value of your stock in a fashion that people would not have bought it at. And so we've got a broad rule called Rule 10b-5 that says effectively, it shall be unlawful for any person in connection with the purchase of a security, that's stock to you and me, to defraud, to make any untrue statement, or to omit to state a material fact necessary in order to make the statements you did make in light of the circumstances under which they were made, not misleading, in order to issue fraud or deceit separately. So, in other words, if you are making a public statement on behalf of a public company You got to be very sure you aren't lying you got to be very sure you've got those disclaimers out there that say look we're gonna be talking about the future nobody knows the future and if you know something that would be important to investors and you fail to state it then they can get you on that failure as well as direct lies and in all honesty If I were making a case against Activision Blizzard, that's probably where I would aim things is, hey, nobody knew exactly how serious all of this was getting since 2018. I would probably focus like a laser beam on that. That's not exactly what the Rosen law firm has done here. And it's important to note, this is covered a lot in the Cyberpunk video, so I do recommend you check it out, that one of the reasons you see these very, very, very quick lawsuits is that. Certainly historically, it's not as much the case now. There has been an advantage to being the first to file your lawsuit because there are going to be other lawsuits that are filed essentially on these grounds. And then the court consolidates them and looks at who should be the lead plaintiff. And at the end of the day, in a class action, even though they're going to be representing potentially a huge number of investors, the lead plaintiff and the law firm for that lead plaintiff are the ones that really have the payday. That the lawyers get paid, the lead gets paid for going through all of this. And then the rest of the money is split up amongst that giant group of investors. That's why you get those emails that say, hey, make sure to give us your information and you'll get $750 or maybe a coupon to Subway, whatever it might be. And a lot of people don't do it. That money goes back into the pot, et cetera, et cetera. Now, what is this lawsuit? As I said, it's very, very similar to what we saw with respect to Cyberpunk. It's primarily a 10B5 lawsuit, which we just talked about. And that lawsuit in particular is premised around the statements that were made in public filings. We've got here August 4th, 2016, which is a little bit before California was involved as best I can tell, so I don't know why they went so early with these statements. Activision Blizzard filed a Form 10-Q. We are party to routine claims, suits, investigations, audits, and other proceedings arising from the ordinary course of business, including with respect to intellectual property rights, contractual claims, labor and employment matters, regulatory matters, tax matters, unclaimed property matters, compliance matters, and collection matters. In the opinion of management after consultation with legal counsel, such routine claims and lawsuits are not significant, and we do not expect them to have a material adverse effect on our business, Financial condition results of operations or liquidity. Now, one important thing to note as we talk about these disclaimers is pretty boilerplate, but it's also pretty standard. Hey, investors, we've got tons of lawsuits all the time about all sorts of things. We're also, however, a huge company. So any given lawsuit is probably not what we would consider material for the actual success or ongoing operations of the company. We're worth billions of dollars and we're not likely to get up to that level of problem. As a matter of fact, they're not necessarily likely to get up to that level of problem even if California brings the hammer down on them, which I know makes a number of you in my comments, upset. But one of the things that goes along with a defraud scheme, with an actual standard that is about putting untruths out into the world, is that at some level, you have to believe them. You have to believe them to be false when you make them. You can't defraud someone without knowing that your statement is false. It gets a little bit more dicey with respect to omissions, but for the most part, what you have to claim is that Activision Blizzard knew something was going on, knew, as we'll later see, that the California lawsuit was gonna be a big deal, and everything that Activision Blizzard did in those first three days of responses to this particular issue suggests that they didn't think that. Activision Blizzard was irate that the state of California went through with their lawsuit and I rate with the way they were depicted in that lawsuit in such a fashion that it strongly suggests that Activision Blizzard disagrees with what the state of California said in that lawsuit and if they do if management does disagree you start to get into open questions about what exactly is fraud on the market what omissions are this is a very kind of difficult case to bring because we haven't had an actual legal finding we haven't had anything other than the state of California's allegations. And this will all be premised on effectively those allegations being true before they've gone through a litigation process. You see this redoubled here throughout the lawsuit. November 3rd, 2016, we're a party to routine claims. February 28th, 2017. From time to time, we are involved in claims. Regardless of the outcome, such legal proceedings can have a materially adverse effect on us due to legal costs diversion of management resources, and other factors. We're a party to routine claims, 2018. We may be involved in legal proceedings that could harm us. Claims, suits, government investigations, audits, and proceedings are inherently difficult to predict, and the results are subject to significant uncertainties, many of which are outside of our control. They can have that materially adverse impact. If you're reading all these and thinking, well, Activision Blizzard appears to have covered itself properly on a lot of this, I would tend to agree with you. Now, that's no surprise when you're a multi-billion dollar company represented by some of the best lawyers, either in-house or outside counsel as possible, you tend to get good disclaimers and you tend to get good documents that you can go out there with. They have said, we've got forward-looking statements. We've got legal claims. We've got government investigations that could be anything. And they put that all in their disclaimers. Same as 2019. We may be involved in legal proceedings that have a negative impact on our business. 2020, same kind of disclaimer. 2021, same kind of disclaimer. And then you get them incorporating their code of conduct. The aforementioned 10Ks incorporate by reference Activision Blizzard's code of conduct where Activision Blizzard says the right stuff. We all play by the same rules. The rules described in this code apply to all employees. Managers, be a role model. The law, don't mess with it. Harassment, don't do it and et cetera, et cetera. Which again, if you're inclined to believe Activision Blizzard on all this, points to potential failures in enforcing their rules, but not in what management wanted to be the company. And that's where you're going to have the biggest fight, I think, between Activision Blizzard and California, which is California says Activision Blizzard itself wanted to be discriminatory, wanted to harass women that worked for them. And Activision Blizzard can point to all those statements in their 10-Ks and 10-Qs. They can also point to their code of conduct, and then we start fighting about the difference between instances and systemic failures. And that's going to be a tough, very difficult fight to predict. That's going to be in the mind of the judge, potentially in the mind of the court of appeals. That's one of the reasons you're unlikely to get to trial. It's not just discovery. It's because it's so unpredictable. Activision Blizzard would undoubtedly like to put a number on it and say, hey, Let's get this over with. So what does the actual lawsuit say about everything that it just brought up? The statements contained in those paragraphs were materially false and or misleading because they misrepresented and failed to disclose the following adverse facts. Specifically, defendants made false and or misleading statements and failed to disclose that Activision Blizzard discriminated against women and minority employees. That would be a heck of a disclosure in your financial statements. But again, the question becomes, does Activision Blizzard believe that it does? And if they don't believe that they did, even if the state of California comes back and proves that that's not the case, the question becomes, how do you get to defrauding someone? How do you get to, hey, we omitted to disclose a fact that we didn't believe at the time? It's a tough case to make. Activision Blizzard fostered a pervasive frat boy workplace culture that continues to thrive. And I hate in legal documents that this kind of concept is presented both by the state of California and here. Uh, If I'm a lawyer, if I'm the judge, I say, uh, could you define that? What do you mean by that? They love to use paddles. They love to go to football tailgates. It's clear enough from the rest of the context in the California lawsuit. It's not as clear here. Numerous complaints about unlawful harassment, discrimination, and retaliation were made to human resources, which went unaddressed. The pervasive culture of harassment, discrimination, and retaliation would result in serious impairments to Activision's Blizzard operations, which is an interesting claim because before the California lawsuit comes out, Activision Blizzard is one of the most successful businesses in in video games. So that's a tricky one to bring. As a result as a, res- of the, as a result as a result of the foregoing, see I get tripped up because the lawyers got tripped up. The company was at greater risk of regulatory and legal scrutiny and enforcement, including that which would have a material adverse effect, which it sounded like they disclosed. Activision Blizzard failed to inform shareholders that the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing had been investigating Activision Blizzard for harassment and discrimination. Now that's the closest I think they get to a major kind of claim against Activision Blizzard and Activision Blizzard's response might be that they're under investigation by a lot of folks. They didn't think this would come to the court case that it has now become. Obviously, it's a big deal. They don't have to be perfect in their position as management. But when you get further from 2018, when you're signing things that apparently gave them an addendum to bring their court filing later than they otherwise would have the right to, when it starts to look like it's going against you, You know, maybe at that point in time, you do have some obligation to inform shareholders. That'll be, I think, the best argument that's brought in this particular lawsuit. Then you have the truth emerging, which again is still a complaint. It's still allegations by the state of California, describing it as the truth at this point in time in a legal document. Please feel free to feel however you like about the lawsuit's allegations on your own self and in your own opinion, certainly to this video and elsewhere. But as a legal document, the truth hasn't been asserted really at all, other than the allegations brought by the state of California. We see then Activision Blizzard's share price fall. And that share price falling is why you see court cases like this one. A class action will develop in almost any instance where a company that is publicly traded experiences a significant downturn in stock price, particularly where that can be pointed at something that happened in the news. It's why you saw this same law firm bring a lawsuit on almost the exact same grounds against the cyberpunk folks for saying, hey, cyberpunk was ready. Okay, clearly it wasn't, we'll bring a lawsuit because had we known what state it was in, you wouldn't have made that much money on the market and these investors were harmed by your lies and misleading by omission. It's the same claim here. And I should point out a number of commenters say, hey, this isn't indicative of necessarily being as significant as it looks because there's yearly cycles for Activision. I agree with all of that. Definitely check out financial folks more than you check out Virtual Legality and the Hogue Law Firm for details on these kinds of things. Uh, financials are much more complicated than just looking at a picture like this. But this is Activision. This is what they've been looking at for the last, I think this is month. And certainly what this law firm is looking at when they decide to sue over it. Then you see, hey, this is why we're a class. The investors all have the same claims. And then we get to 10B5. Defendants individually and in concert, because management is brought in, directly or indirectly disseminated or approved the false statements specified above, which they knew or deliberately disregarded were misleading. It's a high standard for an Activision Blizzard management team that appears to be entirely against what the state of California has alleged. As a result of the foregoing, the market price of Activision Blizzard securities were artificially inflated. And because of their senior positions, the management knew the adverse non-public information about Activision Blizzard's misstatements of revenue and profit and false financial statements. And as officers and or directors of a publicly owned company, the individual defendants had a duty to disseminate accurate and truthful information. Now, the interesting part about that that is also added to this is that publicly disclosing an ongoing investigation can cause its own problems with the government agency or body that's investigating you. So you're constantly, essentially weighing and balancing these multiple factors. And if you are sitting there thinking that the state of California is full of it, as I think the early statements from Activision Blizzard indicate was the fact in the C-suite at Activision Blizzard, then it's hard to get you on what we call C-enter, the knowledge requirement here. For a fraud claim. But it is no surprise that a plaintiff's attorney's firm would bring a claim like this. And honestly, that's the way the United States system works. I have no problem bringing it like this. I have no problem with the other law firms that are going to bring it like this. Whether or not it actually proves to be anything useful long-term, I have my doubts. But you will see it reported on. It wouldn't surprise me if you see it reported on when the second and third and fourth law firm files. Just remember, you watched it in virtual legality. All of those lawsuits are not going to be treated differently. We're talking about one lawsuit that will be consolidated that talks about whether or not Activision Blizzard was hiding things that hurt investors' bottom lines, which leads us to the last 24 hours. We've seen the employees rebel. We've seen the investors rebel. We've definitely seen the journalists rebel. There's really only one more group of stakeholders left to rebel. And the Washington Post brings it to us amid harassment lawsuit, Coca-Cola State Farm pullback from Blizzard's Overwatch League. And we see in this article from the Washington Post, Coca-Cola and State Farm are reassessing partnerships with the Overwatch League according to statements provided by both companies. In two statements provided to the post Thursday, a spokesperson for State Farm said the insurance provider is reevaluating our limited marketing relationship with the Overwatch League. I love this statement because it does it twice. If you're if it's good enough to disparage and hint that you don't want any part of it once, it's definitely good enough twice. We're reevaluating, that does the work. That's the verb, right? Our limited marketing relationship with the Overwatch League. Just so everybody's clear, Not only are we unlikely to keep doing this because we're reevaluating it, we were never that big. We were never that involved in this. We were never that connected to Activision Blizzard. What are you talking about? A spokesperson for Coca-Cola said Wednesday that the company is aware of the allegations surrounding Activision Blizzard and that they've been closely monitoring the situation. We are working with our partners at Blizzard as we take a step back for a moment to revisit future plans and programs. State Farm, mm, reevaluating our limited marketing relationship. Coca Cola, we're, we're taking a step back. And as the Washington Post also points out as part of this article, T Mobile appears to be out, even though they refused to give a statement. Branding for T Mobile, another company that once partnered with both the Overwatch League and Call of Duty League, vanished from official broadcasts in the wake of the lawsuit. Last weekend, the New York Subliners, one of 12 Call of Duty League teams, covered the T Mobile logo. That's usually the lawyers telling you that T-Mobile has made a call or sent a letter that says they don't want their trademark, their brand, their logo to be appearing on these broadcasts anymore. So you have to cut them off from that broadcast. And that is pretty strong evidence that T-Mobile also doesn't want in on any of this. But they did refuse multiple requests for comment to the Washington Post. So at the end of all this, week two you've got Activision Blizzard under fire. You've got potentially slightly better messaging from Bobby Kotick. You have two new leads at Blizzard. You have Jab gone from the role that he used to hold. But you do have reporters that aren't giving you the benefit of the doubt. Employees that most certainly aren't giving you the benefit of the doubt. Investors and plaintiff's class action law, folks that want to bring action against you, potentially get that money from what they claim are lies, fraud on the market. And you have other stakeholders like sponsors saying, you are toxic right now, you are cancer, and we don't want our name associated with yours. What will week three bring? Who the heck knows? But we'll certainly be covering it here in Virtual Legality. If you like these conversations about technology, business, pop culture, video games, and the law, please consider supporting the channel. We think what we do here is pretty unique. We've got a Patreon and other ways to support the channel listed in the description to this video, or just subscribing upvoting, downvoting, leaving comments, having the discussion in our space, telling YouTube and your friends that we exist and we're having these conversations is a massive, massive help. If you watch this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.